I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, my money-saving comrades. My name's Graham Clark, and I'm excited to be with you again this week on the Money Stepper Savings Challenge podcast. This is a podcast made by the Money Steppers Savings Community for the Money Stepper Savings Community. It's designed to help us all achieve the goals that we've set for the 2015 Savings Challenge and make that journey to financial freedom much more friendly and enjoyable. Are you ready? Let's get going. Hi everyone, well, we're back again and it's good to be back again. What are we going to talk about this week? Well, this week's podcast episode is entitled High Ambition. And it's titled that because I've had a look through the submissions that have been made by participants in the Money Stepper Savings Challenge over the past week. And that's exactly what they are. They're all very ambitious. Uh, I've, I've appeared on some other podcasts in the past few weeks and I've discussed it myself on the Money Stepper Savings Challenge podcast about the importance of ambition and uh, setting ambitious goals, aspirational goals to try and achieve what we want to achieve both in the, the next year or even longer term over the next 10, 20, 30 years. It was quite evident from the submissions that have been made so far that all of you in the Money Stepper Savings Challenge community have this ambition. Some of the savings rates that I noticed were quite remarkable, um, pretty impressive stuff, as was were people's uh, desire to improve their net wealth percentages. So really impressed by that, and we're going to have a look at some more detail on the statistics soon. Before we do just going to run through what you can expect from this podcast going forward. We're just kind of finding our feet in these early episodes. What we're going to try and do is going to try and make it a little bit more structured in the coming weeks. Okay, so I'm going to start each episode with a small introduction like this, letting you know what's coming, so you can switch off if you want. Then we'll have a quote. We'll have something that I've read in the past week that's related to the thing we'll be talking about on the on the episode. And we'll discuss that quote and how we can be inspired by it and what we can learn from it. We'll then move on to the main bulk of the episode. So every other week that'll be an interview with a couple of, of the participants of the challenge. And every other week it will be just me talking about a certain subject or a certain topic that's caught my interest and I want to share with you. Each week then after that we will move on to a couple of fun sections. One is to discuss a good piece of advice that I've read in the preceding week to the podcast. And then to move on to actually a bad piece of advice that I've read. And from both of those, from the good and the bad, we should be able to learn something. And hopefully we should be able to 
to make sure that what we're reading there doesn't have a detrimental effect on us achieving our goals that we've set in this challenge. So we'll try and relate it back to the Money Stepper Savings Challenge where possible. Okay, so that's the structure. I hope it works well, as ever. Um, I'm recording this for you guys, so if you want me to change the structure, if there's anything specific that you want to include, uh, do let me know and we'll build that in. Or if there's one thing you're finding particularly boring, uh, equally I'd love to hear about that so that I can throw that into the waste basket. Okay, let's discuss our quote. Well, to get us kicked off, actually, for this week's episode on ambition, I've got two quotes. And both of them are on the subject of, of being ambitious, about stretching ourselves, and on the power of positive thinking. The first is by the best-selling author, well-known entrepreneur, and pretty much all-around famous guy for anyone who's who's doing anything on the internet, uh, Seth Godin. Uh, he says, Optimism is the most important human trait because it allows us to evolve our ideas, to improve our situation, and to hope for a better tomorrow. This is really powerful. This is what I think all of us in the Money Stepper Savings Challenge are doing. We're all planning, and we're all being incredibly optimistic and incredibly ambitious in order to put ourselves in a better tomorrow. Now, what this better tomorrow looks like for each of us will be very different. Uh, whether it's people within their debt journey trying to get to tomorrow being a debt-free day, or whether it's people who whose image of tomorrow, like mine, is, is an early retirement and sunshine and cocktails and all that kind of stuff, um, or whether it's just the inner freedom you get from being financially free. Either way, it's this optimism that we need to think about. We need to keep it and we need to remain optimistic. There'll be times in this Money Stepper Savings Challenge where things don't look like they're going well. Something will crop up. Um, something's already cropped up for me, for instance, in January. So we lived in France, as I'm sure all the listeners are well aware, because I talk about it quite a lot, but until September 2014. And just into the new year, we received a letter from the French tax authorities saying that we needed to pay uh, just over €2,000 in uh, tax d'habitation, a living tax, like a council tax here in the UK. Uh, we weren't expecting that, kind of forgot that was on the way, so it's a, a quite a blow to have that straight away. It has quite an impact on the savings rate, because that goes against our expenses, and it obviously reduces our net wealth by that £2,000 as well. So not ideal, but it's those kind of times, those kind of stresses that we need to be able to face with optimism. Um, to understand that these are just short-term hitches and we're working towards these longer goals and it just means that I'll have to work a little bit harder to achieve my goals in the next year. No biggie. The second quote is a quote from Les Brown. He's a motivational speaker and politician in the US. He says, If you put yourself in a position where you have to stretch beyond your comfort zone, then you're forced to expand your consciousness. That's quite a deep quote essentially saying that if we set our goals to be overly achievable then we won't need to change our position we don't need to expand our consciousness we won't need to improve ourselves in order to reach those goals um, so there's not really much point in setting them if you extend yourself beyond your comfort zone if you say okay i need to get out of what's normal i need to set a stretch goal something that right now may not seem possible based on my current understanding of my current position but something where I need to knock down a few walls on on the way to get there, then it's this kind of 
goal that you can set yourself, which will really help you move along in your financial journey. And again, this is something that I noticed a lot when I was pulling together the submissions for this for this challenge. There were certain individuals who set goals that were, were really ambitious, uh, especially for their net wealth bands, and I was really impressed by that level of optimism and, and ambition and, and fight. Uh, but equally, I mentioned some individuals, but as we'll see in this podcast later on, it's pretty much everyone. When we take the averages, there's numbers in there that you, I think you'll be a little bit surprised about. And certainly when you compare it to the standard advice and what you see in the press as people living paycheck to paycheck, etc., you can see that within this challenge here, we've got a really ambitious group of people and a really strong-willed uh, group here. Let's move on to the main part of the podcast where I'm going to talk about the submissions, have a look at some uh, statistics on them, have a look about some means, mediums, all that kind of uh, all that kind of geeky statistical stuff and try and try and learn one or two things from it. So the submissions are in. How exciting. So far we have 36 active participants in the challenge. It's quite a nice number to get us started. I, I expect a couple more before we get to the end of January and uh, a splatter of a few people throughout the year. But it's a nice core to get us started. You might have seen earlier this week, we posted an article on Money Stepper with everyone's submissions. So you can head on over there to see your see your submissions in ink, in print. Um, should hold you accountable to them. Your Everyone knows what you want to achieve now this year, so... We're going to hold you accountable to that. But what it allowed me to do was it allowed me to get a nice oversight of what these 36 people had submitted and what they were all aiming towards. The main point I got from all this was, well, they're hugely inspirational. And they basically reminded me or reinforced the fact that setting these goals and focusing on achieving these goals is incredibly important in achieving long-term wealth. We see statistics every day in the news about people living paycheck to paycheck, how average saving rates are really, really low for people, how everyone's struggling financially. But these group of people, these 36 people, 36 of you, whether your net band means you are £50,000 in debt or whether it means you've got £600,000 in the bank, everyone's savings rate, everything, everyone they're putting towards their longer-term future is much more impressive than the mainstream media would have you believe. What I'd like to try and work out is whether there's a link between these people, us people, who are intentionally focusing on improving our situation compared to the average person in the street. And I think there's a clear difference in there. If you try and improve something in your life, whatever it is, if you're focusing on achieving a faster 10k time and you, you make that your focus and your target... You're clearly going to be able to run that 10k faster than someone who spent the last three months sitting on the sofa eating McDonald's. And it's equally the case that people who take the time to read personal finance websites, people who take the time out to understand their own finances and then are willing to submit their goals for everyone else to see on, on, a, on an internet website are much more likely to achieve their financial goals than people who just assume that their financial goals will succeed. But there's a couple of points in here that I really, really want to focus on. The Office of National Statistics in the UK often release statistics on saving and people's ability to save in their, in their lives. 
One that came from a report said that people can be classified as savers or spenders. And they did some research and they worked out that 43% of savers reported that they had saved from income in the last month. But 41% of people had not saved any money from income in the last 12 months. So in the last year, 4 in 10 people, 2 in 5, hadn't saved anything from their income in the month. A savings rate of zero. We look at the people in our challenge, and I think the lowest savings rate of anyone submitted in the challenge is 10%. There's one entry for 1%, but I'm trying to get in touch with that person to see if that was an error, because it may not be, but it, it seemed like a, like a funny entry there, so we'll discuss that in the future. But I think the lowest uh, genuine entry seemed to be about 10% savings rate. Now that's really, really high. When you consider that 2 in 5 people aren't saving anything at all, haven't done in the last 12 months... Having an annual savings rate, so a saving rate each month of 10% of your of your monthly salary, is really impressive. What else does the Office of National Statistics tell us? Well, on this specific stat, it goes into a bit more detail. And we look at the frequency of having money left over at the end of the month in the past 12 months. 62% of the people interviewed said so they hardly ever or never have money left over at the end of the month to put towards savings. 62%. It's huge. So well done to all of you for being ambitious, having high ambition, and for aiming much higher than this average uh, that we see in the UK, and I'm sure the average in the US is, is as bad. What other statistics can we see within the data? We've had a look at a couple of things. The first is that the mean, the median, and the modal... Okay, so the average, uh, the middle, and the most common wealth group is the wealth group between 50 and 100k. Now that for me firstly indicates that the people who are in this challenge, there's a clear link between those people who have already made a decision in their lives to focus on improving their net worth and improving their financial situation, and that then this challenge is only part of that journey. Obviously there's people at either end of the spectrum, but to have, have that group being the most common as well as the average and, and the middle ground suggests to me that, that that's what we have here going as a group. While it's the most popular band, net wealth band, the 50 to 100k, the next two most common ones are actually 100 to 200k and 200k to 500k, which actually again cements this point. Especially when you look at the average net worth, if you search on Money Stepper for uh, how wealthy am I, uh, today you can you can compare what your net worth is compared to someone of your age and you'll be able to see that if you're in those bands you're certainly doing better than most people the next one is where the ambition for me really really stands out and is really quite obvious and for me this is the savings rate goal okay so the industry standard what does it say well most people say in the books and they say on on podcasts and people give advice on the tv that it would be amazing if everyone can pay themselves 10 percent first so the first thing they do from their net income is they put 10 percent of their salary towards their long-term savings and then after that you work out what's left is what gets spent that'll be pretty good however you guys are even better you guys haven't set this as an average as a group at 10%, not at 15% or 20% or 25%. Keep going. We need to keep going quite a lot higher. The average savings rate goal set by the 36 people in this challenge is a whopping 40%. 
people are really aiming high here. 40% of your net salary is, is, is really something impressive. The other goal that increase in net worth goal is I find equally as impressive. If we exclude the anomalies of people being close or around the zero net worth mark, if you go from £100 to £200, you've got yourself a 100% increase and that distorts the figures somewhat. But if we exclude anyone around, around that, we find that the average here is also over 20%. People are looking to increase their net worth from 31st December 2014 to the 31st December 2015 by 20%. I'm speechless, but I'm flabbergasted by that. It's really, really impressive. Think about it like this. If someone had 50k net worth today, okay, and that person was able to increase their net worth by 20% for 20 consecutive years, that 50k would be worth 1.6 million in 20 years. So just by doing that for consistently for a period of time, they'd easily be a millionaire. So what else has cropped up this week in the challenge? Well, when we released these results this week on the Money Stepper Challenge, um, Emily from the Simple, Simple Cheap Mum got in touch to say that she was expecting slightly bigger groups. So we've split all the participants, the 36 participants, we've split into, I believe, 12 groups. So an average of three people per group. This was done so that the people within your group would be fairly representative of yourself financially. You're in a similar position. So the idea was that these people have fairly similar savings rate goals and they were in the same net wealth band as you. So that if you wanted to form mastermind groups within this group or if you just needed someone to talk to or someone to look towards for inspiration, these would be the first people you look towards. Obviously, after that, you can look towards anyone else in the group and speak with everyone else in the group. It's just an idea of putting people, people there. Emily's point was that she was expecting to have slightly bigger groups. Um, so that she could talk to more people. And I'd like to get your opinion on that. So if you could please let me know in the comments of that article or in the comments of this post, which will be moneystepper.com forward slash high ambition, all one word. Let me know what you think. Do you want to have slightly bigger groups so that there's more people that you're compared to, but where you'd be slightly less comparable to those people? Or should we keep it roughly as it is? Another participant in the group, Weenie, also commented to say that she's not really using the group because she thinks that people will be in very different stages of their lives. But what she'll do instead is just look at how everyone else is doing and use that as encouragement to see everyone's figures grow, see that she's part of this movement that's growing together and being able to understand if her finances are following generally the route of the group as a whole. Um, so her preference is to bunch the groups together and other few as well. But before I do, I just want to make sure that you're all in agreement and everyone's happy for that to go ahead so if you can let me know via the comments if you think we should uh we should expand the groups or whether we should just get rid of the groups completely or what we should do it would be good to hear from you uh, my friend joe also left comment this week i appeared on the stacking benjamins podcast and the average joe from stacking benjamins this is Paige, the co-host of giggly squad and i want to tell you about a company that i've been loving olive and june Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which 
is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Left comments say this is going to be a fun thing to watch, which I certainly agree it will be. Hopefully it'll be both fun and incredibly fruitful for the people involved. And he also loved how aggressive everyone was being. The power of telling yourself that you can is truly amazing. And people are being aggressive here. Don't underestimate what you've set. A 10% savings rate is amazing. A 20% savings rate is incredible. To go up to 40% is absolutely remarkable. And for people above that, well, you're certainly going to get to that financial position you want to be before you know it. What else? One thing cropped up. I had a question from Nigel W, who sent me an email. I hope, Nigel, you don't mind me sharing this with people. But he was discussing about pensions. And it's a question that someone's asked before, so I thought I'd cover this on the podcast as well. He talked about how we account for that in the in the savings rate uh, on the second tab in, in the spreadsheet. Now, it doesn't really matter how you account for it. As long as you're consistent, it's all we really care about. Um, as long as every month you keep it the same and you've set your goal based on that formula, uh, then it should be fine. The way I personally do it is that I include my pension contributions and those that are matched by the employer into my income. So they go into the first section of that of that page on the, of that tab on the spreadsheet. Beyond that, I then also put those match contributions into my savings column. So if I put uh, £500 in my salary and my employer matches £500, both of them will go into my income and equally the £1,000 total will go on a line towards pensions in my uh, savings section of my monthly P&L. That way we can see that when we look at our savings rate, we know that we'll have a certain balance which of our savings, everything that goes to long-term investments, anything going towards what is supposed to be improving our net worth in the long term. So pensions clearly do that, so they'll be included in that. And then when we divide the denominator, the salary, they'll also be included in there. That's just the way I do it. You can fiddle around with it and include them how you wish. But I think um, as long as you're consistent, that should be fine. Regarding the money stepper challenge, keeping on topic, there's a couple other things I want to cover. Uh, first of all, I'm thinking about starting a forum to try and get a bit more communication going 
in the group so people can ask questions more easily than have having to do them over an interview or in the comments or in a podcast. Again, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Should I start a form? Obviously, that'd be a bit of time and money invested in that to do so. Um, but be, I'll be more than willing to do that if everyone's going to get involved with it. Uh, and if you want to appear as a guest on the podcast, just as Ryan and Robbie did last week, um, let me know. Just let me know via an email or on Twitter, Facebook, wherever. Just uh, just get in touch uh, and we can organise that you come on to the podcast as well and we'll discuss either your goals or your progress against your goals, anything that's happening, something we can agree on beforehand. Good stuff. And I think that's about it for things that are happening in the Money Stepper Challenge this week. So we'll finish up this section and we'll head on to uh, good advice that I'd heard in the last week and bad advice that I've heard in the last week from a financial perspective. So the good advice that I'd heard this week Well, that comes from the excellent UK personal finance and money and economy and investing blog, Monovator.com. The article I'm referring to is entitled, Is Active Investing a Zero-Sum Game? That's a really fascinating article, very thorough as ever with Monovator. Pages upon pages of explanation and research and figures and all, all those kind of interesting things. But the crux of the article is to say that effectively everyone can earn what the market returns. You can invest in index tracking ETFs, very low cost ones with the likes of Vanguard, and you can earn what the market is returning. So, for instance, over the last 10 years, the FTSE 250 has returned about 8.7%, add in just over 2% for dividends, and you get to 11% annualised return. So you can earn that 11% annualised return on the market and you can do so very cheaply, paying around 0.1% fees. And effectively, everyone can earn that return. So investing in the market isn't a zero-sum game. However, actively investing in the market does become a zero-sum game. And Monovator illustrates this extremely well in saying that there's essentially two ways that you can actively invest in stocks. You can buy individual stocks yourself. You can buy and sell shares in companies, or you can pay fund managers to actively invest your money for you. So we look at both of these examples to determine why they are a zero-sum game. And the idea with individual stocks is, let's say we're buying an individual stock of Bellway Homes, FTSE company. Effectively, the idea is that if we buy Bellway Homes from another investor, which we always do, that's how the stock market works, then if Bellway Homes outperforms the market as a whole, then we would have done better than the market. But the person who sold us the share would have done worse than the market. You can flip that on the inverse, and if Bellway Homes underperforms the market, well, us by buying that share means that we in turn will underperform the market, but in doing so, the person who sold the share to us will be outperforming the market. So effectively, between you, you're achieving the average market performance. But it doesn't really end there. It's not really a zero-sum game investing in the market. It's actually a negative-sum game because you have certain problems. Let's say you're investing in this individual share, Bellway Homes. Well, the spread on it, the buy-sell spread, is around 0.1%. That's to say that the share price that the person who's selling the share gets and the price you pay for it are slightly different. And because of that, between you, you're losing out on on how much that difference is, which comes to around 0.1%. However, a much bigger fee you'll pay as well is that 
you have to pay trading fees. You need to pay someone a fee to be able to buy or sell this share. So using an online broker, that might cost you £9.95 for the trading fee. And if you buy £1,000 worth of that and you pay £9.95, you lose an equivalent of 1% on your investment. But you have to do that when you buy and again when you sell. So effectively, you're losing 2% on your investment. So whereas before it was a zero-sum game between the two of you, when you're both paying this, you're actually both losing just over 2% compared to the market. The idea of active investing is that you, with your skill and with your ability to buy stocks and shares, will be able to get on the positive side of that trade more often than not. So that's to say, on average, you're the person who's buying the share that outperforms the market or selling the share that is going to underperform the market. Well, I'm afraid that's not all that realistic that you're going to be able to do that. And a way of quite easily showing that is to look at the second example of actively invested funds. Effectively, with actively investing funds, you're paying somebody else to beat the market, someone who's a professional, someone who spends all day, every day researching the market and their, their sole objective in their professional life is to beat the market. However, you can look at a lot of research that's done in this area that shows that actually these people, despite being professionals, still can't do that. They still can't consistently beat the market. There's a great article that I've read recently on Market Watch. It was actually an article from 2013, uh, but obviously it's still as relevant today as it was there. And effectively it looks into a lot of research that's performed by um, by scholars, by professors, as a look at uh, conclusion of a 2010 study by professors which say that fewer than 1% of mutual fund managers persistently meet the market based on superior market timing or stock picking skills. Another one from uh, Brad Barber of UC Davis and Terence Odeon of UC Berkeley show again that 1% of active traders outperform the markets. Some further research between 1976 and 2006 found that after fees, only 0.6% of fund managers showed any true skill at beating the market consistently over a significant amount of time. So clearly, the research and the conclusion of this says that it is very, very difficult to beat the market, even if you're paying someone else to do it. Uh, There's a supporting article from This Is Money, which I read as well, which said that the median uh, return compared to a standard benchmark of 60% in UK stocks and 40% in bonds shows that active investors perform around 2 to 3% below that benchmark over the last, uh, so what's that, 17, 18 years. Let's have a look at another example of the FTSE. As I said, the FTSE 250, a fairly good representation of UK companies, returned 11% annualised return in the last 10 years. I go to Morningstar.com. And I look at their investment trusts and I fill in my criteria to give me investment trusts that are focusing on UK companies and I have a look at their their 10-year annualised returns. 16 investment trusts pop up and I can have a scan down them and I'm looking for anyone who's over 11%. Now there's four out of the 16 which perform above 11% on their annualised return. Uh, Mercantile, JP Morgan, Midcap, Keystone and Schroeder. However, out of these four, Mercantile returned 11.3% but charged 0.5% fees. So that returned less than the market after fees. JP Morgan, 11.9% but charged 0.97% fees. So again, actual returns less than the market. 
which only left two companies, Keystone and Schroeder, that actually returned more than the market. The first of those, Keystone, 12.2% return, but charging 0.87% fees, which puts it very, very marginally above the market. And Schroeder's mid-cap with a 14% return and 0.95% fees, so putting it a couple of percent above the market. So out of 16, there's two that you could have picked at the start of that 10-year period, which would have outperformed the market, but you wouldn't have known which two. That was pretty much lucky a lucky guess to pick them. Moreover, when you look at the average of those 16, which is the return you could only expect to get if you invested in them, it's 8.3%. And the average fees across them is somewhere between 0.8 and 1%. So you're looking at best at a 7.5% average return compared to the market average return of 11%. It's a significant difference. And it's something that's always worth remembering when investing in the market. At Money Stepper, we suggest that people invest in low-cost index tracking funds or ETFs. So essentially buying the market, diversify across uh, a range of international, UK, Europe, US, um, developing markets, developed markets. Look at the low-fee index trackers that are out there and uh, design your portfolio based on these. That's our suggestion. And this is clearly the reason why. Uh, Monovator sums it up much more succinctly and much more impressively than I have here. Um, so head on over there and have a read if you're if you're th- currently thinking about investing actively or if you're a dividend investor or if you have got a lot of money in your own personal personal investments or maybe in your pensions in these actively invested funds, it's definitely worth considering uh, that these investments are always a zero-sum game. So if you're lucky enough to be the one on the winning side of it, you have to then think about whether you're still on the winning side of it after you've paid all the fees and all the trading costs and all the buy-sell spreads and all the other costs that come with trading. Uh, and if so, would you consistently be on that side of the trade? And the research suggests that no, you probably wouldn't. Which moves us on to the probably more interesting bad article of the week. So this week's bad article of the week is actually two articles. And it's not so much the articles themselves are bad, um, it's just... Something I'd like to raise, and it was actually one of the reasons I started Money Stepper in the first place, because I was getting so frustrated with the mainstream media and their reports on investing and personal finance and how every single piece of advice seemed to conflict one another. There never seemed to be any sensible long-term news regarding personal finance. It was all, what's happening today? What's going to happen tomorrow? Quick panic. The world's crumbling. The sky's falling. For me, there was an excellent representation of this this week. Um, Every day I flick onto BBC News and I have a quick look at the business section and read the headlines. Wednesday's headline was that the ENI were warning that the oil price may hit $200 in five years' time. So anyone following uh, the world economy would know that the price of Brent crude oil, the price per barrel of that, has absolutely tumbled over the last six to nine months falling from uh, highs of around $120 last summer down to what is now around 50 and actually less than $50 as we speak. And the report was saying that BP and Shell and these big oil companies, they were cutting back on their investments, on their capital investments into projects and exploration, all these kinds of things. And because of that, in five years' time, there'll be a huge fall in supply. And because of this decreased supply, the oil price would 
rocket, and it will be as expensive as $200 in five years' time. That was the article on Wednesday. I look back again on Thursday this week, one day later, 24 hours later. Headline number two, prices are going to stay low for three to five years. Now, to be fairness to the BBC, both of these were just reporting other sources. First one, the ANI, and this, this second one was the head of BP speaking at Davos. And he was saying that the oil price um, has fallen from those highs to fall to more normal levels uh, without OPEC getting getting involved and cutting back on their supply. Um, it's unlikely that the, the oil price will, will be going anywhere uh, positive in the next three to five years. So... Two days, 24 hours in between, and two completely contrasting pieces of advice. And what can we take from this kind of stuff? Well, don't listen to it. Yeah, it's interesting. It's entertainment. Read it because um, you you want to know about these things. In case someone really interesting brings up the price of oil at a dinner party, <laughs> you want to be prepared for that. But please don't make any financial decisions based on it. If you went on Wednesday's article, you'd be rushing out to buy oil ETFs or oil companies, exploration companies, the likes of BP and Shell, you'd be going out to buy them. If you looked at Thursday's article, you wouldn't be doing anything with oil. If anything, you might be thinking about putting a short position on. And, you know, the ENI, BP, no one knows what the oil price is going to do. There's not one person you could have found last March or April or May who said that by January this year, the oil price would have more than halved. No one. And there's no one who can predict what the oil price is going to be like in six months or 12 months' time. The same applies for the price of any commodity or the price of any equity. No one knows. It's guesswork. So don't make important financial decisions that are going to affect your future based on these kind of news articles. Great. So that's everything for today. Thanks again for tuning in. Thanks for being part of the challenge. Um, as I said before, if you could head on over to moneystepper.com forward slash high ambition, it'd be good to get your comments and your ideas about what we should do for the groupings, whether we need a forum or not, and if you want to appear as a guest on the podcast. As ever, um, five-star reviews, very welcome on iTunes uh, and Stitcher and any other, anywhere else that you can possibly leave a five-star review. We're coming towards the end of January now, so we've got our updates on their way. Next week we'll be speaking to a couple of more participants to talk about their goals and what they've set in the challenge and how they intend to achieve them. And then hopefully the week after that we'll see uh, some submissions coming in. If you can try and get those in as quickly as you can in February. Um, I think in the rules we said by the 5th, if you could try and get your month-end figures in by the 5th, it'll give me a couple of days to turn them around and get an interesting article out in the following week. Um, But if you could just do them as quickly as possible, that would be great. I say this every week, but if you want to hear anything on this podcast, you want anything added on the site, this community is designed for us all to achieve our goals. If there's something I can do that you think will help you towards achieving those goals, then please do let me know. But in the meantime... Keep on climbing. Come 
A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible Resistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.